We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are living. We pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. Welcome to another episode of Life in Color with me, Nicole, Anissa, Sherry Rose, and Leanne. Today, we're going to be talking about the U.S. election, and it's been a pretty heavy week, um, especially for people of color. So I'm here today with, of course, my co-hosts, Leanne and Anissa, myself, Sherry Rose, and we have two guests in today. Hi, this is Karen. And this is Jess. And we're going to welcome Jess and Karen. They're going to contribute to our discussion today. Karen is actually from the U.S., so she has some interesting Woo-hoo. insights. Yay! <laughs> Yippee! Proud American. Here, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, must be feeling very... Uh, patriotic. Yeah, very patriotic yeah, at this I'm, moment. I'm, I'm so <laughs> proud of my country. Yeah. So thrilled. Cool. So basically, yeah, today's an election edition, and we're going to be talking about, of course, the recent United States of America elections and how they have elected um, President-elect Donald Trump. I don't think that I don't think I've said that out loud since it <laughs> I read it. I've written it. I have not said it out loud. President Donald <laughs> Trump in sequence. Um, and yeah, it's been, it was quite a shock for a lot of people. Some people were not so shocked. Some people were very, very surprised. A lot of people were incredibly disappointed. There were tears. There have been protests. There are protests happening right now on the other yeah. side of the world, in fact. So yeah, it's been a pretty um, intense and emotional yeah. week. So our first three, our segments for today's show, the first will be discussing the American election our feelings about it. How did he win? How did this happen? <laughs> Second segment, thinking about, there's no simple way of putting it, but why supremacy on the rise? I mean, given that the KKK are openly marching now, like, yeah, yeah let's just call for what, what it is. is. Calling it a white lash. It just seems a bit... The white lash. The white, the white lash. lash. And then the first segment, talking about what now, self-care, collective care, and what this relates to, how this relates to Australia and what can Australia learn from it. Because there's actually a lot that can be done here in Australia Australia, that relates to, like, what's going on in America. And it also obviously directly relates to what's going on here in Australia. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, and one thing that does relate that we'll quickly discuss, the ban on refugee. Oh, yeah. The bill that um, has been passed in the lower house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody, please call those, like, those crossbench... Representatives and like flood their e- inboxes, both email and like yeah. phone. If Make we, sure that this doesn't get through. If we haven't put it on our Life in Color Facebook page, it will be put on very, it's, it very on soon. Our, it's, on. it's on our Facebook So what you can do is easily just call, um, as you said, call the different senators and put pressure on those um, politicians to make sure that it doesn't um, become a lifelong um, amendment, which is what it possibly could be if we don't take action. So if we don't want to see the rhetoric that um, that we're seeing in America right now spread to the to Australia. Um, it's already creeping up. Yeah. Everyone's like, you know, talking about the US. I can't believe this is happening. But the same kind of racist rhetoric is happening right now um, in this country against asylum seekers and refugees. Yeah. So we really have to mobilize ourselves and get yeah. organized. And for those who don't know, the bill is a lifetime ban and gets any refugee who came to Australia, I think it's from 2013, on a boat. So, just um, boats. Just, boat. just a boat. <laughs> what is the fascination with boats here? I don't. It's the imagery. It. I think. Yeah. The it's, imagery it's, of well, someone coming on. I a think boat. there's like some psychoanalysis. I'm not quite sure, but I think it's something to do with the Australians coming on the boat to like colonize the indigenous people. So they think because it's happened once, it can happen again. Well, because so I know that there was that whole thing about, anxiety. like, save the children and, like, that, like, that, what was it that, like, that one thing about that boat where, like, people were, like, tossing kids off on the side or something? Like, back in 20, I don't know, this was a few years ago. Oh, Actually, yeah, yeah. I feel like that was, like, back when Kevin Rudd had decided to, like, get rid of his, like, offshore detention and take it all, like, on into Australia. Okay. Then there was just this one boat where, like, 80 kids died. Yeah, it's they that one. drown yeah. and, like... Australia was just up in arms and, like, forced them to go back to the offshore detention because apparently that was better. That's so weird to me, like, the fixation on boats. Yeah, like, seriously. I mean, like, how else are you going to get to Australia? Mm. Like, really? Plane? Yeah, but that's m- way more expensive. True. 
<laughs> but I guess this is that image of like if you're on a plane, you know, you've gone through visa, you've gone through border security. There's this this like, air of legitimacy, whereas mm. like the imagery of a boat, which obviously is not, which is ridiculous if you're coming from war torn country and people, they're illegal immigrants who come from planes. But it's yeah. just this. It's it's really a tool to just dehumanize people. Yeah. To say that you know if they come on boat, then they're they're the type of people that we don't want in our yeah. country, basically. Yeah. Anyway, if you do, um, and if you can, please make sure you do support the um, block the bill campaign that's happening right now. It is being started. It's being um, pushed by Rise, um, which is the Refugee Survivors and Ex Detainees um, Collective. So they've got there on their page a list of, I guess, numbers of senators, crossbenchers, that and members of Parliament that you can call. Um, and email, whatever, just, you know, let them know that we're not happy with the decision that, you know, they're going to make. Mm. And we really, you know, as a population, have a greater sense of responsibility to, you know, our global population, for our global community, and that this is not one of the values that we want to maintain or reflect. And certainly a ban on refugees that simply come by boat is not something that we're going to stand for. Yeah, this is, this is not the world we want to live in. Um, I'm sure most of us can agree with that. So we're going to go into our first segment, which is all about the American election. Um, it's, it's going to be like a results recap. We're going to talk about our feelings um, Was and you know ask the question, was this the most decisive vote ever um, in the history of presidential elections of the United States? We're going to discuss the issues that come up um, with the leadership of Donald Trump. There are many. <laughs> Um, and we're going to ask, how did he win? Like, how did this happen? Why are we at this state of, you know, affairs that we find ourselves in right now? Um, so how does everyone feel in general? And what what do you want to vent? What do you want to get off your chest? Uh, I mean, I'm feeling scared, anxious, tired. Yeah, you know, like, this is... <laughs> I second all of those feelings. <laughs> I think just if you're a person of colour at this moment in time, like, the last... In Australia as well, like, the last week has just been, like, a massive drainer emotionally. And then Donald Trump thing was just, like, the epitome of just yeah all of that um, disruption, yeah. you know? and. Definitely. All of the anger and, um, you know, just ev- all the negativity in the world kind of felt like it culminated in that moment. Or all the hatred, xenophobia, all of those, you know, racial tensions, divisions. Um, yeah, it felt like it was kind of epitomized when Donald Trump was kind of announced, you know. And like for me, at least, there's also this sense of helplessness almost as well, because it's like when you knock your water bottle over your laptop and you see it in slow-mo and it's like no but you know you can't move fast enough to stop it because it's like we see what's going on what's like what's happening right now we see the trends we see how it's like that period between world war one and world war two you know like you know and you're seeing the rise of like the far right and all these xenophobic and you know racist sentiments but it's almost you know like we're watching it happen but can we stop it I think, yeah, that's an interesting question because, yeah, there's that concept that, like, we're progressing, we're going, like, we're making these... Oh, no, no, you know, like, we elected a black president, you know, like, you know, racism is in the past, we have some problems, but, you know, we're getting better. But I think what's happened in 2016 with Brexit and Trump is, like, clearly we're going backwards. Mm. And in that sense that, yeah, like, hopelessness is, like, all this talk about... I don't know, like, all this talk about anti-racism, racism, educating, calling out, whatnot. It's like, that's not... I don't know, there just seems... Like, with the whole question of device, and it seems like there's a certain conversation happening with one group of people and a totally different conversation happening with another people. And how are you... I don't know what I'm saying here, but it's just like... No, I think I know like, what you're saying because yeah. it's like all those things that we talk about, like calling out culture and all that sort of stuff, it all kind of seems almost a little bit trite to me now because there's an yeah. actual fascist. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> Ask the president of the United States right now. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like, agree, with, yeah, I agree with what you were saying about 
um, people assume that there will be progress in the world. Yeah. But I think the whole idea, the concept of you know time equals progress, <laughs> has completely been obliterated <laughs> over the past few days. If it hasn't already, like when it came to like Brexit, for example. So um, I feel like. It's not like a silver lining or a good thing, but in a way, having Trump as a president and the uh, sorry, the, the president of the United States, I'm acting like he's the president of Australia or something like that. But you know, it's it's a very very important um, election. Obviously, whatever happens in um, the yeah. US affects the whole world. Like a big wake up call to it's everyone. A wake up call. Yeah, I feel on. like I feel yeah. like Donald Trump is my president, but like I feel like the fact that it happened, it it shows clearly that we do have a problem with racism. Like, no one can say that it doesn't exist or that there's no point talking about it or we've, we've passed that stage, we've yeah. had Barack Obama, like, we're, we're yeah. done with that. Like, clearly there's a yeah. problem now. I'm sure it, everyone has, like, yeah. had that kind of, like, smacked Definitely. in their face. But more so than we have a problem with racism, it's, it's more that our tactics to solve racism isn't working. Like, what mm. we're doing is, like, ineffective if this is yeah. the outcome. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, like, I don't expect like people of color to go to white people who are racist and be like oh guys this is why like the education stuff that should fall on the white liberals who have been noticeably silent oh i'm not going to go to thanksgiving like no go to thanksgiving and call out your family for being racist and have the conversation have Mm. the conversations to change their minds yeah yeah it's um I think it is striking for me to see how after Brexit there was so much like sort of like pointing and laughing at yeah. the UK. But this time it's like no one's laughing. No. There's absolutely no, no. one is laughing. Because I think when it happened once it was like, Oh, it's just the UK, they're a bit backwards and when it happens in America it's like, Okay, this is like Also, you know, the US does have all those dukes. Yeah, that gave me a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I read an article being like, What are the checks of balances in America? I'm still unclear. Mm. Can Donald Trump start a nuclear war? That's what I um, saw say. No, I'm pretty sure the answer to that is yes. Oh. Um, will he? We'll see. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, the complicated United States voting process, what is the Electoral College? Like, what in the okay. world happened? Yeah. I'm, I get this question a lot. So basically, when um, the so-called founding fathers of America set up the American so-called democracy, Mm. um, they didn't trust the average person. Mm. Um, So they were like, okay, so we need to create this intermediary body that votes for the president. Um, Mm. uh, So that way, if the average people, like, you know, the unwashed masses, make a vote for president, make a call that isn't right then the elites the political elites can come together and vote differently and that's what the electoral college is wow yeah so i mean but now that's like spectacularly backfired because by popular vote hillary clinton won like the people have spoken but because each state gets a certain number of electoral college votes and Mm -hmm. most of the time the electoral college i think it's something like 70 percent of the electoral college the people in the Electoral College are bound to vote the way that the populace of their state voted. Mm. Um, And that's why Trump has won, because he won the Electoral College votes. Oh, okay. So that's why there is actually organizing efforts right now to target the 30% of the Electoral College members who are not bound to vote like representing their populace Mm. um, to try to sway their minds. But chances are they're not going to vote differently. And it's based on the population, the size of the population? Sort of. I mean, this is why, you know, like, it is roughly based on it, but there is an overrepresentation of, like, poor rural votes. Because, you know, like, those big-ass states in the middle of nowhere in America still get a significant number of electoral college votes, whereas California, given the fact that it's, like, the ninth largest economy in the world by itself, given how many people are in it, it's actually, it's more like 500,000 people per electoral college vote. Whereas in poor rural areas, I think it's something like maybe 100,000 or even less than that votes per electoral college vote. Mm. Yeah. According to this, which is the um, the Times, is that right? Oh, yeah. According to, I'm um, sorry. Yeah. From what they have said, Hillary Clinton received 47.7% of the votes and Donald Trump received 47.5%. Um, but um, Hillary only got 228 electoral votes um, compared to Donald Trump's 279. And that was what won the election. Yeah, because more states went to Trump. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the blue states that did go to Hillary have more population in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like something that, you know, and it is a problem that like a lot the people in urban areas tend to vote Democrat. People in rural areas tend to vote Republican. Yeah. And that's how that yeah. turned out. Yeah. That's confusing and depressing <laughs> at the same time. So I guess the next big question is, how did Trump win? Because all the polls predicted Hillary would win. No one really expected this. Even Trump himself is probably quite shocked. (laughs) And there's been a lot of theories like racism, classism in terms of like it was predominantly kind of like, you know, rural, white, uneducated people who've kind of like lost out from the financial crisis. Yeah, I really don't like that when they say that stuff like that, because like we can see that white people across all income brackets all voted for Trump. Mm. You know, like, those, you know, like, it's not, it's not, you know, like, this thing about, like, oh, it's the uneducated, it's the yeah. poor. It's not, though, because mm. we can see from the numbers that it's not. Yeah. Um, the only group of white people who voted for Hillary over Trump were college-educated white women. Mm. You know, that's a lot of things stacked together. So yeah. it's not because it's, like, the poor, rural, you know, white mm. people voted for Trump. The wealthy coastal white people also voted for Trump. That's so interesting because in a lot of the articles that I've read, and I'm sure a lot of other people are reading in mainstream media, um, it's a lot about that rhetoric of um, poor, disenfranchised, white, working-class men and women voting for Trump. Like, they're only just the uneducated or the not wealthy that are voting for him, and thus it's like a justification because they're like you know, disenfranchised with Hillary Clinton, so they're going for someone else. Yeah. Um, But I feel like that's just kind of like a justification. um, It is. Just to kind of like say they're not racist, they're just disenfranchised. It's the white liberal, like, elitism that you get out of, like, the Northeast, Mm. especially. Um, And it's, it's, you know, like, how did Trump get in? It's like, I mean, it's obviously a very complicated answer. It's a very complicated question. Mm. But there's, like, I mean, there's sort of a whole like several major prongs one major prong is is that you know like this the sort of trends that led up to this have been in in um in effect for at least 10 to 15 years if not longer you know like republicans have been winning all the sort of state elections and even school board elections for the last 10 to 15 years um you know and because they've won all these school board and state elections um the textbooks in america are largely written for Texas and California because that's where most of the students are. Mm. So if the school boards of Texas and California, you know, like they state, they set the curriculum essentially for the whole country. And, you know, like, for example, like when I, I was in Pennsylvania, mm. when I was in high school, I learned that the Civil War was not about slavery, but was about the issue of states' rights. <laughs> and that's because the Texas school boards had said that that like okay like you know like we've decided that's not about slavery mm-hmm. we've decided that the civil war was actually about states rights mm-hmm. you know so these sorts of things have been happening for so many years time. yeah mm-hmm. and then you know like also it's you know Hillary Clinton's campaign like they purposefully tried to swing the Republican campaign more to the right mm-hmm. because they thought it would make it easier for her to win mm-hmm. so there's so many of these like structural issues at play so to say it's these individuals voting a certain way is not really representative of the problem yeah um what I found interesting was that some some people were suggesting or p- political pundits were suggesting that if the Democrats went with Bernie Sanders, they would actually win the election because if it had to, if a lot of the um, election rhetoric was about um, the economy and um, you know the American economy losing out and bringing it back together again and helping um, people from low income um, brackets, that Bernie Sanders would be able to. Um, kind of capitalize on those groups of voters, mm. but instead um, they they stuck with Hillary or like the what was seen as the elite class of the Democrats, okay. and yeah. people were um, had that image of Hillary Clinton as this elitist who didn't care about people's rights, and Trump really like capitalized on that sentiment as well. I don't, so, but I don't believe that Bernie mm. Sanders would have won either because yeah. like um, you know like Angela Davis, you know, a couple of weeks ago she gave a talk here and she was talking about how when we sort of challenge one aspect we always tend to sort of fall back on other ones where we tend to be more conservative on other issues as we champion one issue and i think that also happened here you know like let's say like working class america you know they have a right to to feel disenfranchised because yeah the system sucks but you know as they're pushing that one issue of class let's say what happens is that there's all these fallbacks into racism into xenophobia and so forth 
as a way to talk about class. And like, I don't, you know, like Trump, I think still would have beat Bernie Sanders just because Bernie Sanders wouldn't have fallen all those rhetorics of racism and so forth. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, speaking of um, the rhetoric of racism and the racial uh, discourse of the election campaign, many, I guess, outlets published the breakdown yeah. of who voted and how they voted. Um, this is one published by The Guardian, and it shows in the graph. So 34% of white men, um, so 34% of white men voted, um, sorry, 63% of white men, <coughs> excuse me, voted for Trump. 31% of white men voted for Hillary Clinton. 43% of white women voted for Hillary Clinton and 52% of white women voted for Donald Trump. 80% of black men who voted voted for Hillary Clinton. Only 13% voted for Trump. 93% of black women voted for Hillary Clinton and 4% voted for Trump. And of the Latino men, 62% voted for Hillary Clinton, whereas only 33% voted for Trump. Latino women, 68% voted for Hillary Clinton, only 26% voted for Trump. And of others um, that they didn't categorize, 61% voted for Hillary Clinton and 32% voted for Donald Trump. We've posted this little graph on our Facebook page so you can go and have a look if you want to inspect the figures for yourself. But, you know, that's quite revealing um, as well of the racial discourse that was surrounded in the campaign. Yeah, yeah. but what's really sad is um, if you look at the population, obviously it's the minorities who voted for Clinton. Obviously they don't make up as much of the population as, as white people. Um, so... <laughs> You know, even though they overwhelm overwhelmingly voted for Clinton, um, Trump was still able to come yeah. into power. Yep. So I'm a bit shocked by the numbers of the Latinos, given his discourse against... Yeah, but you're forgetting about all the Cubans and the white Latinos. Not to throw them under the bus or anything, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> so now we're going to go into a bit of discussion about, you know, the rise of white supremacy, um since, well, yeah, the dramatic, I guess, um, emboldening of many white supremacists and uh, right-wing patriots groups, um, both in the U.S. and here in Australia since the throughout the campaign and since his election and what the implications are for not just, you know, the United States of America, but here in Australia. Yeah, so I guess the first question is, how did we get to this point? Especially 2016 seems like obviously there's been a lot of right wing parties in various spots, but the fact that like Pauline Hanson suddenly got reelected, it was like people being like, "What are we in the 90s again?" I, we thought we moved on from this. The shock of the Brexit, Trump. I mean, all the polls suggested the contrary. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of the reason why the polls suggested contrary was because the media didn't really necessarily realize their place in this globalized landscape and this sort of more network system of media that it's no longer they say something and it just gets echoed out and everyone yeah. listens to it they're now just one node in like this nodal economy of media so like yeah you know they can say something but a lot of people can just like either not listen to it at all or only listen to specific bits and then absorb yeah. it and like pass yeah. it on in social media and reddit and so forth mm. and you know like I think it was only surprising to people who hadn't been paying attention. Because, like, for me, like, whenever people were like, oh, Hillary Clinton's going to win now, right? I yeah, was like, yeah. not going to believe it until I see the body, you know? And, like, yeah. yeah. So it's like, and the far right is just generally on the rise throughout yeah. the world right now because of what's going on. Yeah. So who knows, like, where we're going to go from here. And the mm. thing you say about the media is interesting because... I think when social media happened, like came out about a lot of people talk about its democratizing potential, but what we find instead is that if anything, it's allowed the fire right to like manifest more strongly. And as you said, the mainstream media, while it has its problems, it was probably more pro Hillary, probably more liberal, probably more left. Um, so there's this huge disconnect between yeah the mainstream media and what's actually happening in some way these forums or these like anonymous sectors has allowed yeah i mean i think this is just a, like with trump you know definitely it was the far right out organized to the left yeah very clearly 
Um, you know, it's like on the left, there were so many assumptions about media, yeah. about how social media and how media operates today, yeah. about who says what, when, yeah. and how that represents how the vote is going to swing or whatever. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, and also Hillary's campaign too, the way they use the media and also the way the media, you know, talked about Donald Trump in order to gain more ratings. Yeah. Now it's all kind of bitten us in the behind. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, well, great. Now we have a fascist <laughs> mm. in office. Like, that's absolutely wonderful. And I think they spoke about the um, Hillary, Clinton, Hillary Clinton's personal emails um, and all of the hoo-ha around that, yeah. like, disproportionately. I just felt like it was everywhere. Um, whereas if you look at the sexual assault allegations against Trump, there was not as much. It was just kind of like alarm bells here and there, but it wasn't like... A continual I, I, I report. felt it should yeah. have been like a continuous report about the fact that he is a sexual predator who has been accused of sexual assault time and time and again. Is that or, not... or like the fact that he was supposed to be fronting up to court about mm. the alleged rape of a fourteen year old and then bullied her family mm. into like not taking him to court the week before the elections? Yeah. It's, no one talked about it's it. It's actually crazy. Um back to white supremacy is is what we're seeing is that simply a manifestation of you know centuries of you know um you know if you look at the history of colonization a lot of it is based on race and and the privilege of the white is this kind of like the white's last <laughs> hoo-ha kind of like you know we're not going to let our privileges go kind of thing like we're still we're still you know alive and kicking more than ever just as we were before I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I think this is James Baldwin who had this quote, but he, mm. like, one of the great black writers wrote how, like, you know, um, you can always get the white, like, the poor white man to do whatever you want so long as, you know, the lowest of, like, the like the lowest of the low in terms of the poor, like, poor white people, as long as you tell them that they're better than the best black person, they'll, like, they'll just, like, automatically flip. And that's kind of true because, like, when we see in terms of American history, you know, like, how racial – the racial system got set up in America, it was because, like, with – I think it was Turner's Rebellion, you know, like, the poor whites and the enslaved black people, like, they were working together. And then how did the upper upper white people, like, that class get poor white people to flip on their allies, on their black – on their enslaved black allies? It was to be like, oh – well, you know, as long as you forget about this rebellion, as long as you stop being part of this rebellion, we're going to give you these really bad pieces of land, but they're still pieces of land. So there, there you go. Mm. I think like with increasing multiculturalism and the rise of um, movements like Black Lives Matter, um, the rise of, you know, people of color actually taking a stand against racism, it's making um, white people who really hold on to those privileges that they've only known it makes them feel really uncomfortable and they know that they have the privilege to be able to say and act on racist inclinations without any, um, really without any consequence. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of like this reaction to, to people kind of challenging that white privilege. Yeah, I think the same yeah. thing happened after the civil rights movement. You mm. had Johnson, Truman, and then you got Reagan. Yep. Like, and Nixon, yep. who are both just like the devil incarnate. Yeah, and then also after the American Civil War and after, like, that process of rebuilding, what happened? We got Jim Crow. Um, so, yeah. I mean, how does this fit on a global scale? It's just, it's so complicated. Um, I One of the things that we talked about during the break was is that there's also this rise in anti-Semitism again, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting because it's like, for so long, Jewish people have been considered white in America. But then now, all of a sudden, it's like, not quite... Yeah, and I think a lot of um, white supremacist groups um, have, like, they use a swastika as kind of like a symbol. Yep. So I feel like anti-Semitism is kind of almost synonymous with, with yeah. a white pride yeah. in, in a way. Yeah, I guess on the other side, some people have been arguing that, well, white people, the particular demographic of white middle-aged men who were working class had been really ignored by the political class yeah. and that their sentiments had been really um, ignored. Yeah. They hadn't been, they didn't feel like they were considered or taken care of. So one of the phenomenons that did happen in this election is that they had a whole, not necessarily more voters who came, who voted for Republicans um, 
or who voted for Donald Trump, but you had a particular group of those, many of whom were those, you know, white middle-aged men who would not or have not previously voted so dominantly in previous elections come out and vote and support Trump. I mean, like, yeah, like, I've, I've seen those analyses around, and I feel like they're always sort of, there's not the full contextual, like, they're not contextualizing it fully. And, like, the full context is, is that, like, white people have had it really good since World War Two, right? Like, mm. with the baby, like, the baby boomer generation, like, they've had it so good, so yeah. easy. It's been some of the most egalitarian times in yeah. history ever for white people. Mm. And now it's, like, as that egalitarianism for white people has slid back and you start mm. seeing more of, like, the unequal wealth distribution, they're lashing out. Yeah. And who do they lash out against? Um. Not the people who created the policies that have led to this unequal wealth distribution, but against other... Ethnic minorities? Yeah. yeah, against, you know, like, other oppressed peoples. Yeah. Um, because, because it's, like it's how- a... Com- it's yeah. a convenient scapegoat. Yeah, and yeah. how dare they want to have the same privileges as white people, you know? <laughs> That's how I feel that they yeah. are reacting. Yeah. There's um, a sociologist called Zygmunt Bowman that you often have to read, I don't know if any in university, who wrote this work a few years ago, but I feel like it's really poignant at this point, where he has this concept of liquid modernity, which in economic terms simply is neoliberalism. It's like increased casualization. The fact that people are like, you know, baby boomers... Um, you would have proper full-time stable jobs and you could feel secure now with increased casualization, with like unemployment rates, this huge sense of like anxiety and insecurity. Um, and it says that in this kind of climate with economic insecurity, then people look for other ways to feel secure. And, and often like a tempting way is through ethnic or nationalism as a way to kind of bound your identity or get power. So I guess like they're, so it's kind of like what you're saying with the Joe Bowman. It's like they're losing out on economic capital through you know the elites through you know the one percent so then they're getting they're gaining social capital then through being white so that i think there's like this weird interconnectedness that's quite mm. complicated that yeah and i guess the sweet irony of all of this is that reagan ushered in neoliberalism yeah and now it's reagan's policies that's biting pro- us yeah yeah thanks reagan and like donald trump isn't gonna help all those poor disfranchised people he's oh, like no. no i mean like that's <laughs> he's not part of the elite like yeah i mean i feel like i mean this is something that i find terrifying is, is that like in two to four years when say another global economic crisis happens because they remove all those regulations on the banks and stuff who are the angry like middle class white people going to blame now because exactly. like donald trump and the republicans promised them all these golden riches that are not going to come through True. yeah mm-hmm. so yeah like who are they going to blame now <laughs> yeah and he's always been an elitist like yeah. he he underpays his workers he's used um illegal um migrants from mexico to build yeah. his trump towers you know a lot of his wealth is based on the exploitation yeah. of people of color oh, yeah um he's not paying white people he doesn't pay people wages. yeah he just he doesn't pay people if he feels that they they didn't do the job. I don't know if you guys remember at one of his um, election campaigns where there were like three young cheerleader girls yeah. who were like doing this like patriotic no, dance. No, I remember that. that it was, was really cringe. Was so cringeworthy. So I had to turn it off. Yeah, it was really cringeworthy. But um, apparently they were not paid. Um, so these he little cheerleaders. Pay, he didn't pay his we- wedding caterer either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these cheerleaders, like the the moms and the, like the moms and dads of these cheerleaders, are actually suing um, Donald Trump for fourteen thousand dollars. So I mean, if he's not even going to pay like these kind of people, just imagine <laughs> the type of person he is and the way he yeah. treats others. Like he's not for the poor and for the disenfranchised. He's just as elite as you know Hillary Clinton, yeah. um, just in another way as yeah. a businessman. I was about to say, yeah. at least Hillary Clinton's probably met poor people. I don't think Trump has ever had a conversation with someone who makes less than six figures. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think, yeah, he really did position himself as not part of the political establishment and, and, and definitely used othering language when he was talking about those politicians or them polit- the politicians over there or, yeah. um, you know, not putting himself in that category not identifying himself with that with that group of people yeah as if he really was the underdog and i guess there has been some commentary this week in the news in australia about you know some politicians even coming up to say that we need a trump-like movement here in australia and you know 
others feeling quite reassured in their position um, because, you know, the election, the election of Donald Trump to presidency has reaffirmed, um, you know, the far right wing yeah. politics that we've also seen coming up here in Australia. Just a quick little side note. I, th- I think that's like kind of hilarious or like ironic in a sense just because like the trump trump and the republicans have been looking to australia and to australia's policies and to mimicking australia's current policies as a way to move their own agenda forward you know yeah. so it's just like that's just <laughs> well our next time we'll be discussing yeah how how does this relate to australia and what we as australians can do about it um, and next up, we're going to be speaking about what are we going to do now <laughs> and what does this mean for Australia and what can we learn from the election of Donald Trump in the United States? So, yeah, how does everyone feel about um, – well, sorry, we've already spoken about how we feel. So what now? Like, how, what do people feel like we should do now? Should we mobilize, organize ourselves or should we – I have this yeah. quote um, from this article – by a few different authors, by Megan Erickson, Catherine Hill, Matt Carp, Connor Kilpatch. So anyway, I'll just say the quote. This is a new era that requires a new type of politics, one that speaks to people's pressing needs and hopes rather than to their fears. Elite liberalism, it turns out, cannot defeat right-wing populism. We can't move to Canada or hide under the bed. This is a moment to embrace democratic politics, not repudiate them. So yeah, what do people think about yeah that kind of sediment? Um, all I know is, is that like, immediate, like speaking, like in terms of immediate action, y'all Australians really need to not pass that refugee ban bill because like Trump and the Republicans are looking to Australia to copy Australia's policies. So like, if you like, if you're like watching all this stuff that's going on and you're being like, oh my God, this is terrible. There's actually something you can do right now to like stop what's going on, which is like. First and foremost, like Australia, Australia's like really messed up policies on refugees and stuff like the rest of the world is looking to copy those. So if you guys can make sure that those don't go through, (laughs) then that sets a tone of like, okay, maybe these horrible things that we want to do might not come through, Mm. might not go through. So maybe we shouldn't even bother trying. Yeah. I think we as as Australians have just as much responsibility to deal with um, racism as um, people in the United States have to. We really have to um, unite and organize ourselves um, because we're seeing the rise of right-wing rhetoric and um, white supremacists um, in Australia as well. If Just by looking at Pauline Hanson and the rise of One Nation. Like, we thought she was gone, like, long gone, and she came back. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this points to also that, like, we cannot necessarily rely on the systems present to Mm, protect us and to protect, you know, people in general. Mm. Um, You know, because, like, for example, with Bernie Sanders, like, his immediate statement was was that, like, oh, was that, like, you know, I'll I'll do my best to, like, work with President-elect Trump and stuff. And it's just, and it was just, like, um, you know, like, I hope the Democrats would actually work on blocking as many of the Republican bills as possible, just like how the Republicans have been blocking left and right Obama's Hmm. bills and stuff. But, you know, it's like, yeah, so it's like, this is not necessarily a time to give up on the system, but it's more like giving up on certain individuals who are supposed to represent us, I guess. Yeah. In the system. Yeah, like some people been being like, oh, I guess we'll just have to wait the next four years for another election. It's like, well, a lot can happen in four years. And we a can't lot has happened already. Really yeah. four years. And I think that kind of mentality that we're just relying on a leader or a president. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, I mean, at the very least, the Democrats need to start organizing at the state level mm-hmm. and start winning those state elections again. And from there, because, you know, like, when people, you know, it's not like people become ready to become U.S. senators, like, overnight. Mm. You know, you have to, like, do that trajectory of, like, many years of, like, first working in state senates or, like, you know, lower political positions and then working up towards, you know, becoming a U.S. senator. And right now the Democrats, like, they have Hillary Clinton, they have Bernie Sanders. But then in terms of people younger than 50, they don't really have... Many people. Mm. And that's horrifying because the Republican bench is filled Mm. to, like, the max. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like, who's going to be there, you know, in 10, 
not yeah like you know in 10 years like or even in four years or even two years yeah. when the next co- congressional elections happen um yeah yeah and you were saying earlier that trump winning wasn't something that just happened overnight it was like 10 to 20 years of working up so i guess like this mentality that oh everything's fine everyone's chance on oh no something like what do we do you know it's like we need to build movements for years and years and years in order to you know make effective change whether that's yeah, strong yeah, social movements or like I think what you're saying also early interesting about the school system, like how significant that education system is, mm-hmm. how there's like this kind of cultural yeah, aspect to it. Yeah. That yeah. we really need to change people's perspectives and how they understand history and how they view the world. Yeah. I definitely agree that the, the a lot of reform needs to be done, um, in the US government. Um, as Karen was saying, like you obviously know more about the system that us Australians, like, you know, stuff like the Electoral College that we don't understand. Yeah, so. like, I mean, the Electoral College mm. needs to get kicked, needs to get, like, get rid of. Um, you know, the Democrats need to, you know, stop the Republicans gerrymandering and, like, to stop the Republicans, um, basically, like, their abuse of, like, their voter intimidation and stuff. And there's also issues of, you know, like, of the fact that, like, America's never really come to terms, like, what happened with slavery Mm. and how that's continued to haunt our society. Yeah. Um, And like, these are sorts of honest conversations that just like never happened in America. Yeah. And it is so important for activists to organize around making those honest conversations happen on Mm. making sure that that happens on a systemic level. Mm. Um, And that is also something that can be done here in Australia, because once again, it's not like Australia is this like far off little Island in the middle of nowhere that like no one pays attention (laughs) to. Like we joke about that, but that's not actually how it happens because in some key ways, the rest of the world is looking to Australia for the example. (laughs) Like, of course right now it's in like all the negative and bad things, Yeah, but it is perhaps possible to make it into the good things yeah yeah and i definitely yeah i definitely agree that we we can't rely on governments and um our leaders to enact change when i think about it you know if hillary clinton was elected or even when barack obama was elected um how little things improve for people of color you know we would you know pretty much still have the same problems that we were having when barack obama was in power um only now is um the only difference now is that racism is kind of in your face like yeah. you know yeah we're racist and and deal with it kind of thing yeah. whereas before it was more um subtle it was subtle yeah. it was subtle and you couldn't really like tell actual the... full-on aggression yeah it's yeah. really full-on aggression so i really feel like we really need to mobilize yeah. and um and act and we can't rely on others um to do it for us and i remember reading an article about the the possibility of using um younger generations and mobilizing younger generations to to resist minus um, the white people though minus the white people minus the white (laughs) because like as we saw in america with the numbers white young white americans from the age of like 18 to 25 still voted for trump over hillary yeah wow so that whole map about like oh if only millennials voted it would have got to hillary that's just simply because within the millennial population it's over it's becoming more and more people of color Uh. yeah that's and I guess that's that's one point. So we, um, it w- it would be interesting to see if um, we could mobilize that kind of younger generation who happen to be just you know a bigger cohort of people of color yeah. to work and and resist um, these you know racist um, movements that are propping up everywhere, including you know in the actual government <laughs> of the United States of America. Um, and that goes the same with Brexit. A lot of people are saying that most of the people that voted against Brexit were um, younger people um, compared to the older people who voted to, to leave yeah. Brexit. So that's something that we could we could do. But the other thing I wanted to speak about is um, self-care, like more on a personal level. Aside from all the politics that we that definitely has to be discussed, how do we um, personally deal with things? Because um, I think all of us had, had have had a, like a very physical reaction, yeah, you know, um, a very visceral reaction to and, what has happened. Yeah, and I just want to say to our listeners um, and everyone out there, like it's okay to feel crap. Like it's it's okay to feel upset. I think Angry. all of us here have been feeling very anxious, haven't been getting to, much to sleep. To feel anxious, yeah. Have been feeling sick. Your feelings are valid. Honestly, your feelings are valid, and it's okay to feel like that for as long as you need to. Yeah, especially, yeah, when, when this kind of racism is legitimized yeah. by leaders, it's it's totally fine to feel like you 
like there's nothing you can do to feel helpless yeah. to feel all of that and that's okay and we're here to support you and to su- support each other and yeah. part of you know being in this radio show is just being able to like reflect and yeah. get it off your chest and be around people who get you and understand you so um and that just shows why a show like this is really important because not enough people are talking about this stuff yeah yeah and i think a big part of self-care that angela davis mentioned a few weeks ago is the kind of collective aspect about creating networks yeah about creating communities whether that's just with a group of people like-minded and you're just getting dinner together it doesn't have to necessarily be but it's just about creating space yeah where you can yeah. feel yeah comfortable where you can feel supportive so you don't feel alone yeah. and hopefully that can build to something bigger and better yeah yeah or organize with your friends yeah. organize with the people you trust, trust. Yeah. yeah build a strong community Indeed. because like self-love not just in terms of yourself but also in terms of your community is yeah. so important right now mm. um as we see all this stuff going on, as we see, you know, like, as we see on social media, all these different accounts of how overt violent racism is r- ramping up. Yeah. And I think it's especially important to talk about self-care with um, activism because activism can be very draining emotionally, psychologically, yeah. um, you know, physically. It, it can be really draining to have to deal with, with all this stuff in the world. Um yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot of emotional labor that that happens. So definitely finding people that support you and um, that you can grow with is is really important. And um, although I know that the the mood is obviously very depressing and sad, I am still very optimistic about the future. Um, partly because I feel like. I need to be. I need to be optimistic to be able to get out of bed each day yeah. and go to work yep. and, and just be myself, yeah. you know, as a Muslim woman living in this kind of society. I need to I need to be optimistic about the future yeah. and yep. the future of, you know, my future kids and my nieces and nephews and my friends and family around me. Yep. And for me personally, I'm the kind of person who, um, after being sad and upset, I'm really angry. So I feel like there's a lot of anger in me that I just need to turn into you know a productive action yeah and um, you know like yeah. like, like that anger it's, yeah it's not you know because like, i think so often we treat anger as like it's a bad emotion hmm. but you know anger does give us energy Definitely. and this anger is, will keep you going when nothing else will yeah, yeah and like this is a time fails. when anger is useful yeah yes, and anger definitely. is a valid response and a normal response mm. you know and it's yeah. finding a way to channel that anger yeah into making sure that we work towards change yeah yeah there's already been yeah a lot of anti-trump protests all around america so which is good if yeah. there was any which is probably i think the first time there's been protests against a president yeah right on such a large scale, scale. There's, on such there's a been large at least 25 scale, yeah. states yeah in the u.s not based on any specific policy rallying. like obviously there was protests against iraq war but just for the fact of being elected yeah yeah um this, this is probably unprecedented so i think if there was any silver lining it, it's probably a wake-up call yeah. to the left to to organize to better or, to, or, yeah. to work from that yeah. grassroots and job. also hopefully yeah. to the democratic party to like st- to like pay more attention to its base and to the concerns of its base yeah because you know like for so long you know like certain groups have been very faithful democrat voters but the democrats don't enact policies that help us any way and if anything only hurt our communities yeah um like in the debates I noticed that Hillary Clinton kept talking about the middle class, the middle class. And um, someone wrote a good piece about the middle class assumes that there's an upper class, which she talks about in reference to 1%, but also assumes there's a working class. But she never, ever mentions the working class in any of her debates. She never talks about how she's going to help the working class. So if you were a working class person watching this debate, you would easily feel quite alienated and frustrated. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, watching all those demonstrations flare up across the US, like that gave me that gave me a bit of hope because I feel like when whenever in a time of history there is oppression, there's always people who rise up against yeah. it. I know I don't care if that sounds corny or whatever, but it's true. Like you put pressure on people, some people are gonna rise up to the occasion yeah. and I'm just gonna make a prayer that I hope that this the rise of Trump and the rise of racism and white supremacy yeah. brings up a generation of the fiercest, meanest, most badass women and men who, you know, take leadership and yeah. resist all forms of oppression and injustice. In I the mean, world. yeah, like you know, because because 
since Obama got elected, there was so much colorblind racism going on because yeah. it was like, oh, we live in a post-racial world yeah. or whatever. Yeah, president is and now it's like, at least it has made it clear to white people mm. that it's like, you guys have problems. Yeah. <laughs> You guys have some serious problems. As I say, I think the people who were most shocked were the white libs because they just did not think white people were that racist, like at all. They had no idea. They were in their own little bubble of yeah. joy and happiness. Yeah, and that bubble popped. <laughs> it yeah. burst wide open. Yeah, I definitely feel quite fired up. Like um, after mm. yeah, Trump winning, I was like, these are going to be interesting times. Like people in you know 50 100 years are probably going to look back at 2016 and it could go in so many different directions and like yeah yeah we, yeah i guess you're saying the young people of this generation probably have a huge part in yeah the future there's more. definitely a fire within that yeah. i feel is burning in <laughs> me and i'm just like i'm ready like i'm ready to do what's needed yeah kind of thing yeah so um yeah. Yeah. But I mean I don't I don't want to like regardless of what Donald Trump is or not go- yeah. like or is or isn't going to do. A lot of people like just have no idea what what he's going and he's backtracked on so many different things. Yeah. Regardless of that we need to we need to act. Yeah. yeah. And regardless of what he does, it's kind of added legitimacy to a lot of white supremacists. Yeah. Which yeah. he hasn't caught out on. Um but yeah, any last thoughts before we wrap up? Please Anyone? don't, guys. Please seriously write into those like cross bench senators or whatever, and yeah. like, please make sure that bi- that that bill does not pass. pass. Yeah, and also like labor, la- labor's labor's not great. No, like there not. needs to be work on like getting labor's policies mm. more, like. It's not been like a competition of who can be worse to refugees. Yeah, like, yeah much, and like right now, like obviously liberals and nationals are the worst. But like I was reading like Labour's response to some of the pe- to some of my friends who had sent in letters, right. and their response was really not good because it was just like, oh yeah, you know, like this is an overreach, but it's only an overreach because he wants to ban all refugees that come by boat. So what about the people who came from like the U.S. and the U.K.? We can't ban those, but the other people who came, like yeah, whatever about them, they need to definitely leave the country. And that was uh. essentially the response. It was just like oh my god this is one of the major political parties oh yeah, yeah the labor party has a huge history of racism which i can talk talk to you all <laughs> <laughs> it's that's too, for another too, episode yeah another episode yeah but yeah especially i think it's darren hinch who was a crossbencher senator of victoria so yeah email him call him say that you're put the a, pressure on yeah you're yeah. a victorian citizen he represents you yeah put the pressure on and don't think you that your call doesn't matter. It definitely does. does yeah. They've been inundated yeah. with calls and they've noticed. Yeah. yeah. Especially like Xenophon. He's got like three senators in there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a wrap up for Dave. Thanks for listening. And that's another episode by Life in Color. Tune in next week for another discussion and join the conversation on Facebook, Life in Color, and follow us on Twitter at It's Life in Color. See you next week.